Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. On this episode, we hear part two of the Doc's interview with NPG saxophone player Adrian Crutchfield, where he discusses recording Prince's last album, Black is the New Black, his recent return to Paisley Park, and his new album. And in the news, we talk about the Prince Estate's lawsuit against Tidal, the PRN alumni reunion, and upcoming performances by Liv Warfield, Shelby Johnson, and Judith Hill. And now, he's old enough to do ya, but too young to dare, Dr. Funkenberry. Uh, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast, episode two with our boy Adrian Crutchfield. Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, look for us on Stitcher, leave reviews, help promote us, share us. We love it. What up, Chris? What up, Doc? How's it going, man? Funky for no reason. Yes, now, as usual. Let's just get into stuff. So, Chris, what are your favorite kind of suits? Because mine is like Hugo Boss, Perry Ellis. Versace. Kind of Versace. Benucci. I'll tell you what I don't like is lawsuits. Oh. And there's a lot of them going on. Womp womp. Uh, we had, you know, since the Universal Music Publishing deal with uh, the Prince Estate, um, there's been some kind of, there's a battle going on between a few other things. And one of the battles right now is streaming. Hmm. Now, if you remember like a month ago, there was reports that uh, Jay-Z met with uh, Taika and her husband, Taika, Prince's sister, catching everyone up, up to speed in new york and saying right. that 40 million dollars was offered there was a photo put out there londell mcmillan denied that it happened now you'll get my take on that after this okay thing happened although there was a photo although they're phone out my, my opinion on that is that something did happen but they didn't go through londell or the estate like they should be of who Bremer Trust put in put into the mix, so now you got to deal with that. Um, so what happened? Rock Nation, along with Tidal, Jay Z's company, who has been streaming Prince's music for over a year now, and had hit and run Phase One exclusive rights to that, and had Phase Two up for a minute as well. Um, they added 15 new albums on uh, Prince's birthday of June 7th this year right i remember that that was huge right a lot of fans like that a lot of obscure stuff yeah it was great now i didn't know this included with that because i know that they haven't really been going after the estate has been going after people selling those like illegal merchandise items like on amazon and other stuff they just i was told they didn't have the money to fight lawsuits they're trying or to make to make excuse me and i didn't know that was also a title because first title is saying that they're the exclusive home for prince that they gave him a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar check uh for stuff and all this is going on basically trying to say that they had an agreement with prince although it was for a year or so uh that he was going to be their home for streaming because here is now Universal Music Publishing trying to get possibly his music streamed 
on all sites, Apple Music, Spotify, possibly Tidal, but not just exclusive to Tidal like how it was. Okay. So um, they they fought they filed that suit. Then <laughs> Monday morning, Prince's estate sues Jay Z and Rockefeller and Tidal, saying that they're not the home, that they're in breach of a contract. They don't have exclusive rights to stream. Those 15 albums that were put up on his birthday were put up illegally. And uh, saying that $750,000 check, uh, they don't have it. They haven't seen it. And then completely, again, debunked the $40 million story. See, I think someone was meddling with stuff when they shouldn't have been, and now they're angry. And another thing is, is that, you know, if, if they can't find the money, like they said, and the money wasn't paid, uh, how does it make the contract contract, you know, it makes the contract basically null and void, right? Yeah. So who do you think, who was it that was meddling? Can you go into that more? Uh, I think Jay-Z tried to bypass the estate and offered them, they're saying 40 million. I'm hearing, I'm hearing it was less because I was told this story before it was made public. But the thing that's um, bothersome, I think that they were trying to throw money at them and give them money now so they wouldn't have to wait. Like, here's $40 million, here's this. Although, like I said, I heard the amount was less. When I saw the $40 million number, it didn't match up. Um, but they didn't, go, they didn't go the right way. The title should have been contacting Londell or the estate, not contacting Tyka because – even through everything, let's say it didn't happen. And, and, and even if they they invited them, there's still Omar and there's still other people that are involved that are going to be getting a piece of the estate pie. Right. You know? So they can't make any decisions anyway. But that photo was from that time. Because do you, do you think when Prince signed the contract with Title last year in 2015 that Taika and her husband – were being flown out to New York. Do you think Jay Z cared about him? Uh, probably no. Right. So now that photo in the New York office is a title. It brings a whole precedent. It's not faked, you know. But I just think, unbeknownst to people, uh, Tyke and others were being reached out to, and actually listening in. And hey. If you were getting a free trip to New York, you're getting taken care of. Wouldn't you listen? Even though nothing's going to come about it, but it started this whole thing. Oh, sure. And they title still hasn't pulled the music yet, which is surprising. So we may be getting another counter lawsuit over this. So we will see. And that's all we know right now on it. It's it's a couple lawsuits. Not not the fun ones. Not, not, <laughs> not, not the Vasucci. Yes. <laughs> so another thing uh, we had over the weekend was the PRN alumni. Basically, anyone who worked for Paisley Park, at Paisley Park, receptionist, Dr. Fink, Stephen Park, Sam Jennings, some of the other people, Jill Willis, 
Morris Hayes, the MPG, 94, 95. Uh, Trevor Guy and uh, Donna Grantis of Third Eye Girl uh, were there. No, None of the newer NPG or MPG horns um, were there. But they and they played like a really cool video that you that has been circulated. We put on fan pages of Van Jones and even a message from President Obama. Yeah, um, I saw that. That was really powerful. Really powerful. Really well done. Really well done. There was other videos played as well. Uh, Gilbert Davidson uh, kind of spoke. Who kind of had the Kirk Johnson role, and Kirk Johnson was there as well. Um, they all shared stories, you know. And they're selling T-shirts, um, Paisley Park is in your heart shirts. It's kind of going to PRN alumni, people that aren't doing well. Right now, it's, it's one person whose name escapes me along with John Blackwell. So the money is going to them to help their medical issues. So if you want to contribute, the shirts are pretty cool. Very cool. Um, you know, they just they talked a lot. Omar, who... I've said before, um, Omar and Manuela, surprisingly, um, have been really the people that kind of been looking out for the best interest of the vault and what Prince would actually want. Mm -hmm. Um, Omar, let it be known to all the people that were there, all the musicians, all the recording engineers, Susan Rogers wasn't there, but a bunch of other engineers were there, including, I believe Dave Hampton, that Omar would like them involved in the process uh, when they have control of the music to put the vault out. So that's great. Yeah, that's really good. Tracks put out on different stuff, you would actually get a cohesive uh, album of material and done the right way. Right. Not remixes (laughs) with uh, special guests. You know, maybe you'd have a remix CD single or stuff like that, but not the actual stuff. We don't, we don't need that stuff. So it was nice of Omar to bring up and talk about. And Omar, for those who aren't aware, that is Prince is a half brother. It's not full like Tiger, but he is a half. And you know, I wish everyone was all on the same page. There wasn't so many lawyers involved, but that's how it is. Um, you know, but basically everyone who worked at Paisley at one time uh, was there, a majority of people. Like I said, the most recent inclination of the MPG and the MPG horns were not, though. You know, and I'm sure you've seen photos and videos, but it, it's it's kind of cool. And I talked with Sam recently. We're going to have Sam on. Aliso wasn't, wasn't there, but we're going to have her on soon. Same with Shelby, same with Liv. Speaking of uh, Shelby and Liv, yes. uh, they're doing, uh, I think, a couple of shows in New York with Judith Hill in January. Um, of course, I was already in Liv's and Shelby's ears about trying to get this to be a tour. Right now, there's the only dates uh, that they have. We'll see what else is in the mix. Um, but we hope to have them on when they have time. I know the holidays are coming up. But that, that should be a cool show. I hope we get to see it. I hope other people get to see it. Real music by real musicians, you know? Man, that's going to be fire. Ooh. All three of them together. Lord. Quite awesome. 
Oh, man. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to our second part interview with Adrian. And for those that are wondering, uh, we do talk about uh, the peer-to-peer distribution um, last about, album. We talk about muggles. <laughs> muggles, yes. And it's it's just a really, really, really great interview. A, a lot of people that were wondering some stuff and – Adrian loves to speak his mind, and we're not going to hold him back on that at all. Yeah, more power and, to uh, him. Enjoy having him on and doing these things, talking about Blue Note and Warner Brothers and distribution and just some other things and what uh, more of what Prince had uh, planned out for Black as a New Black, and also uh, rough enough that we touch base on on part one. I don't know about you, Chris but I'm kind of ready for it right now. What about you? Yeah, let's do it, man. This is an awesome episode. I hope everyone enjoys it. We got more coming too. Uh, Most definitely. Let's float that way. Bring it on. Uh, And we are back. Welcome to part two of uh, our interview with Adrian Crutchfield on the Dr. Funk podcast. We have Adrian here with us and producer Chris. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) So last time uh, we left off talking about Rough Enough. Now we know there were some other things going on, uh, like Black is the New Black. And that was going to be a new album of material. What can you tell us about this uh, Prince album, Black is the New Black, the recording process and how he came up with the title? Um, Wow, where do I start? First of all, take your time. Uh, Rough Enough was the, I guess, technically the first single for the Black is the New Black record. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was just the first full song that we had come up with. And he seemed really excited about it. Um, the idea came when we were doing one of the Paisley Park After Dark jams. Cool. And then we kind of uh, polished it in the studio and... And eventually he, uh, he, you know, he came up with some lyrics and, uh, and we, you know, he, he wanted it on the vocoder. He didn't want to sing it. So, huh. so really? I did it on the vocoder. Hmm. I think that the groove, I'm not sure how he came up with the groove. It may have been originally like a, a mono neon idea. I, I don't know. Right. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was just real funky and. Had a nice hump to it. It felt good. Great tune. And we had fun. And then um, Black is the New Black is the title of one of the songs for the record. As a matter of fact, I think it was the last song that we recorded. Oh, wow. Wow. And uh, he was just really, 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 really hyped about it when we finished it. Like, you know how it is when you're in the studio and you're really excited about a new song. And all you want to do is blast it. You want to turn it up and just jam out to it. (laughs) And that's what we did. Like, after the song was finished, you know, the last thing I remember was Prince, Mono, Kirk, and I just in the studio, just grinning at each other and listening to this this song that was, like, talking about, you know, social – standards and and everything that was going on in our in in the world right now as far as 
you know, that's that's what it's talking about. Black is the new black. You know, like mm-hmm. in fashion, black has always been the pillar, you know, the standard of what is fashionable. Black never goes out of style. Right. And and so, you know, people always say like this color is the new black, you know. Uh you ever watch The Wiz? Oh, I love the whiz. Yeah, so you know the thing wouldn't be caught dead in red. You've got to be seen in green. You know, uh, that talks about you know fashion and how fashion is always evolving, and the new it color is always some random color. But black never goes out. It never goes out of style. Right. And in today's in American pop culture, everything, everything. By definition, that is American in today's pop culture originates from African American culture, hmm. and it's it's a really uh, it's a sobering idea that you know if you look at our culture as Americans and and the things in our art that the rest of the world really adore, all of it is black. Right. You know, I mean, and that's not to say that <clears throat> that's not to say that it only belongs to black people. But the origins of pop music, hip hop, R&B, rock and roll, country, uh everything that that came from the Americas art-wise has had a strong influence of black culture. Right. And and you're starting to see it not just in art now, but in in lifestyles. You know, you're seeing women getting butt injections and they're trying to tan their skin. And <laughs> that's right. You know what I'm saying? Excuse so it's me. like you're starting to see these people and it's it's not just now. This has been happening for centuries. Where dresses were made to make you look like you had a smaller waist and wider hips. Right. And and lipstick was, you know, lips, you know, there were makeups made to embellish the size, the look of the size of your lips or the contour of your lips and, you know, the whole tanning idea that all of that stuff is made to bronze you and make you look more black. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but that's just what it is. And it's not an ugly thing. It's beautiful. Um, right. But that's what, the you know, we were talking about in the song and. And uh, it got to a point where, you know, if you just look at uh, everything that's going on, there are some people still that will not admit to black culture being the biggest part of our American history. Um, This country was built on on mostly on, you know, black culture. And of course, Native American culture, mm-hmm. and even you know, it's 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 a melting pot. But if you look at the basic idea of what our country is, and all the culture, all the things in our culture, the food, the music, uh, everything, you know, there's a lot of black history in there. Right. Absolutely. It's really evident. Yeah. And so, uh, what we're starting to see now, I know this is a very long-winded explanation, explanation, but no problem. What we're starting to see in culture now is that. There are people who deny that hmm. on both sides, not just or on all from all angles. You know, hmm. it's not just that there are white people 
or non-black people who deny that black culture is is a is probably the biggest part of our culture but you also have people who are ashamed of being black so you see you see the opposite in black people you start seeing black people trying to lighten their skin right and you see them uh not really proud of the natural quote unquote natural hair and you know having nappy hair you know chris rock did a whole documentary on good hair quote unquote and you know um i spent most of my life being told i had good hair you know because my hair wasn't as curly as Hmm. most black people's but what does that mean you know why is my hair good and their hair not right well that's subjective yeah it's, it's subjective and and that's what we were attacking is you know there's a lyric i vaguely remember there being a lyric in the song that uh, Prince just gave me a basic idea of what to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, and it was basically like a freestyle oh, cool. in one verse. And, you know, I'm not very good at freestyling. I'm not a rapper, you know, so. But what what came out was something along the lines of we love everybody. uh, uh but the ones we love the most uh, love your own body from coast to coast or something like that. And it's like basically saying, you know, while we love all people, it's still really important to love yourself first. Right. Very cool. You can't, you, you know, and the message is that you can't love anybody until you love yourself first. True. You know, and, uh, and so black is the new black was a statement basically saying that we are proud to be black and to be born of black culture, not just African culture, but, or not just American culture or not native American culture or, you know, being whatever, you know, you can be blonde hair, blue eyes, but if you can acknowledge the black in your culture right, and be proud of it, you know, then that's, you know, that's huge, you know, be able to clap in the tune for, yeah. Yeah. And that, that (laughs) unites us. And so that's what we were doing is, you know, saying basically black is the new thing. It's the new fashionable thing, you know, and it's, it's, it's meant to encourage, you know, I I don't even know how many kids out there. um, I saw a thing, I saw a documentary once where they, they did a, a an experiment with kids, and they had these kids in a room, and they put dolls. Huh. They, they had these little girls in the room, and they put dolls in the room, and they would make the little girl choose what doll she wanted. Huh. And it was always a black one and a white one. Huh. And the girl would always choose the white one. Huh. Even if she was a black girl, she would choose the white one, and they would ask huh. why, and she'd say, because she's pretty. Huh. You know, and uh, that was really scary. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because these these little girls have been conditioned to think that, you know, being black by definition means less attractive. Yeah. And so, uh, what we're doing is reversing that stereotype and looking at now in today's culture, that's what's happening anyway. Is that, you know, the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice, baby. You know, <laughs> and, and it's. You know, it's like nice throwback. Berry. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. People are people proud of black, you know? So when was that recorded? Man, uh, uh, I want to say February. February, February 2016? Yeah, so it was, it was after the, the late 2015 Rough Enough and all those that we talked about in part one, right? Yeah, so... so this is a completely different enough, different recording yeah, session? I, yeah, well, we, well, here's the thing. The recording sessions for Black is the New Black started in late 2015. Okay. Like December uh, or November. Huh. Whenever Rough Enough came out, Rough Enough was the very first thing we recorded. We finished. And boom, um, let it go. That's awesome. It was on title. I remember. I heard that. I was like, yeah. what? And he was just so hype about it. You cool. know, he was, in, he was in another world. So he was just like, I'm going to put it out. Bam, there it is. I'm going to yeah. record it, put it out, record it, put it out. He was just in a really creative space. like, uh, And it was cool. It was great to watch. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I don't know, uh, I don't know how he planned on exactly how he planned on putting it all together, whether I think rough enough was going to be the first single for the black is the new black record. But, and, 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 and February was my last time at Paisley before he passed. Uh-huh. Uh, so I don't know what else he may have recorded in that last three or four months right? Uh, or in that last two or two months two or months. so. Um, but to my memory, black is the new black was the last thing that we recorded. Wow. Right. So that could very well have been the last thing that he recorded. Yeah. Cause I know he picked out an album cover for the Warner brothers release. I don't know if it's going to be black is a new black and kind of asked you privately about that. Cause I know that was picked out this year, at least the cover for it mm-hmm. as, as far as you know, was there any, was that possibly going to be the, the unreleased project that Warner brothers is going to release next year after the purple rain special edition? It could be, man. They're stealing so much stuff. Uh, <laughs> he, his words, I, <laughs> I look yeah, man. I, I, I won't hide I won't hide the 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 obvious truths that Warner Brothers is is benefiting greatly from all of this and oh, everyone they can is. say what they want. Yeah. But their actions are saying otherwise. And so mm-hmm. um you know, there are some people in there that, that still have some respect for the art and some respect for, for him, but mm-hmm. as a as a whole and as an entity they are disrespecting the mess out of him. So, because uh, mm. a lot of things that they're doing, he was not cool with, and he was very vocal about that. And everybody right. knows. So, the actions that they're taking are very disrespectful. And so, uh, call me disrespectful for saying so, but you know, they, you know, thieves in the temple. Is it just? <laughs> Is it just Warners that are thieves in the temple or others or if you want to elaborate? Listen, there are going to be thieves. There are going to be thieves coming around for ages. Um, Right now. And we have no way of knowing who they are. Hmm. The only person with that gift was him. And, uh, you know, there there, and equally so there are going to be some people that come around and try to protect his legacy. 
Right. And we have no way of knowing what someone's motives are, you know. Right. You know, we have no way of knowing until they start acting. And then we start to see what they're trying to do. And then we can we can determine what their motives are. But, you know, I haven't really seen anything that shows positive motives from Warner Brothers yet. Hmm. Well, now everything of his is going to sell. So they're positively wanting to release what they wouldn't have released in the past year, year and a half that he was giving them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, so, even the stuff he wasn't giving them. You see what I'm saying? Even the stuff mm-hmm. that he didn't want them to release. Right. They're probably going to release. They did the same thing. Sony did the same thing with Michael. And, you know, that's just that's the business. Yeah. It's I don't un- like it. It's an unfortunate really circumstance. Because yeah. just but like I you were saying, it. sorry to I talk over you. Yeah. Um, just like with the phase two release being peer to peer. You know, he probably yeah. would have been doing stuff with Warner Brothers, but also releasing other projects like on the side, like you were saying for the MPGQ, how he was going wanting to release it on Blue Note Records or other things. So, yeah, yeah. You know, he so, may have wanted you know, that Warner deal, but other deals as well, correct? Well, they, they, you know, he, you couldn't, you couldn't put a leash on Prince. Mm-hmm. They've never been able to. They've always tried, but they've never been able to put a leash on him. And that was one of his gifts is, you know, they they kind of backed him into a deal when he was younger, that first deal, and they got him, you know, and he spent the rest of his life after that doing what they did to him to them. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful, uh, just the way it played out. It was like a it was like a beautiful chess game, you know. And and that was one of the things that I admired about him and one of the things that I always admired was watching how they always thought you know, we got him. And then he would always find a way to just say checkmate. And it was, <laughs> it was, you know, it was, it was it's such a pimping move, man. Like, that's why you have to respect Prince as a boss. Like, he was just, oh, he was like the <laughs> Al Capone of music, you know, like, <laughs> you got to respect that kind of talent, man. And, and, and they did, but also they knew that, you know, he was dangerous. He was a problem. Right. And so, you know, I'm sure they've been waiting for this. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything crazy like they planned it, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure as a business, they've been prepared for this for a long time huh. because it, it only benefits them, and um, that's cool, you know. Uh, but the Purple Army's still strong, you know, and anytime we see something foul, we're gonna voice it, right. Because that's what we do. That's right. Now, yeah. Now with especially, go ahead. Especially with what? Oh Uh-oh. no, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Huh? Especially with what? With Warner? I said or? especially me. Oh, I'm especially gonna voice you. it every time. Okay. Now back to Black is a New Black for yeah. a moment. Was there any tie-in with Black Lives Matter at all, either on that song or the album, in general? Um. Because I know that was important to him. Like he was a uh, one of the first people to be on it before it was trendy. You know. Yeah. He um. He he felt very strongly about that stuff. You know, he did that song Baltimore. He went to Baltimore right. and did a, a show. Uh, <clears throat> and all of that was tied into Black Lives Matter, even though it was about us, not the exact problem of lives being lost to police brutality, mm-hmm. but. It was about black lives being not being represented correctly, you know, in Baltimore uh, with 
it, you know, you look at the number one, the police brutality, but then also like the mm-hmm. water thing and all that stuff. He was he was always aware of all of that stuff, and 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 as has been said, he was charitable, so he right. he made sure to contribute to those causes. He didn't announce it, which is another boss move because, in my opinion, um, and it's just my opinion, and I'm just Adrian. I don't you know my opinion doesn't really matter that much, but in my opinion. Charity is not charity if you announce it. Uh, uh, yes. It's right. an opportunity. Right. And so, you know, and I think that's kind of uh, the views of the Jehovah Witnesses. I don't know because I'm not a Jehovah Witness, but I can kind of agree with that in the sense of, you know, when you do charity, it's supposed to come from a place of not looking for any kind of, you know, benefit from it. Right. That's like saying, well, I'm going to be good because it makes it it means I'm going to get into heaven. That's the only reason I'm going to do good things is because I'm going to get into heaven. Right. Uh, instead of saying I'm going to do good things because it's good to do good things for uh, for other people. Right. So or that's like saying I like this girl because she makes me feel good. <laughs> uh, you know, not because she's beautiful or she has a beautiful soul or or that she, you know, she is a wonderful person. But no, just because she makes me feel good. I like the way I like the way we, we get down in the bedroom. So I like her. That's it. That's the only reason I like her. That's messed up. You know, you don't really like her at that point. That's right. Yeah. You know? Gotta so, like everything, including the bedroom stuff. And right, right. It's gotta beautiful. be all it's gotta be all inclusive. And it has to be not just about what she does for you, but who she is. And exactly. so it's the same thing with charity. When you do something charitable, it should be about the people. It should make you feel good to know that these people are are blessed by your contribution, right. and not. It, it shouldn't make you feel good because you know you're going to get some kind of credibility or some kind of a reward. <laughs> you know, that's not charity. And so Prince was charitable, and he gave to all these different things. You know, the uh, the Boys Club of Chicago. He gave to Baltimore. He he provided uh uh what's the uh the the uh the sun ah it's on the tip of my tongue oh the uh the solar panels the, the solar panels yeah. that's it in Oakland, yeah. Oakland. why could yeah. I say that why could <laughs> I say that? um you know he did the solar panel thing that was huge you know mm-hmm. and who what other along what with other the yes we code you no know, that are doing those things right and not looking for any kind of of you know marketing ploy to right. say look what i'm doing look what i'm doing he so always he has, did that on the down low which is awesome always always did that he always did that mm-hmm. and you know you know people uh the black lives matter thing he was very very keen on that and and uh he he watched it closely he analyzed it huh. and he knew it was an issue and he spoke about it a lot right you know, he spoke about it, but, you know, in politics, you have to be aware that, you know, so for example, with Black Lives Matter, the whole phrase of Black Lives Matter, and I'm not speaking for him in this sense, but I'm just speaking on what I, what I imagine would have been his stance on it. Um, you know, the truth is that, yes, all lives matter. 
But, you know, all lives can't matter until black lives matter. You right. see? And so there you go. Uh, and that's that's just now anybody else's argument towards black lives matter when they say, you know, blue lives matter. Of course, blue lives matter. Of course they do. Green lives, military lives matter. But that's just like saying that, you know, the American military's soldiers and their families matter more to the world than who are we fighting right now? Because we're always fighting somebody. I don't even know who we're fighting right now. But I know we're fighting somebody. <laughs> ISIS. ISIS, many other okay. things. And sometimes it looks like we're fighting ourselves. Right. So, okay, we're fighting ISIS. But give me like a, give me like a government that we're fighting. I know uh, we're fighting one. We're always fighting one. Right now, it looks like Russia. Okay. So, so let's use that for an example. Mm-hmm. That's like saying that the American military's lives and their families matter. But Russia's military and their families don't matter. Hmm. Right. You can't, you can't put someone else down to rise you, yourself up. You can't hmm. do that. Yeah. So that's the whole thing is, you know, people are misconstruing the whole Black Lives Matter thing as only Black Lives Matter. No, it just means that. And, and then also, OK, I'll say this, too. There are some people out there who are making who are idiots. There are some idiots out there that make Black Lives Matter look like a bad thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and those people, they're not representing what it should be. Uh, they're, you know, spreading violence mm-hmm. and, and, and things like that. And so, yeah, there are always going to be those people. You know, there's always going to be that ignorance um mm. around not just in black lives matter but in the world and so i think that i can't like i said i can't speak for him because you know only he could speak for him but i do think that he was very very aware of everything that was going on and, and, it, and it disgusted him but how do you where do you begin to explain your stance on that there's not really a way so all you can do is contribute all you can do is contribute and help and love and love people that's right. it. That's all you can do is show love. Uh, don't show any judgment. And that's what he did. He didn't he didn't pass judgment on people. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like you've never been to a Prince concert where he said black lives matter. And if you don't agree, you have to leave. You know, you're right. never going to see that because he's not going to pass judgment on you for your opinion on something. He is just going to show love and contribute to a cause. And if that means feeding people, if that means putting clothes on their back, if that means putting solar panels up so they can stay warm, then that's what he's going to do. Right. Now, you know? And it doesn't any... matter whose team they play for. That's right. True. Yeah. And now, is there um, <clears throat> any other tracks or other recording sessions you remember uh, from Black is the New Black at all? Man, uh, no. Like I said, it was bunch of real funky tracks right and i'm sure everybody who's listening is chomping at the bits to hear them and i am too mm-hmm. and so is mono like every time mono and i talk that's all we talk about is like oh when are we gonna get to hear this stuff <laughs> right because you gotta understand we we literally would record it and maybe hear it play back one time mm-hmm. and then that was it Damn. Right. So huh. we haven't heard this stuff. We're we're just ex- as excited as you guys are 
to right. hear it. Now, Man. what about free yourself? What was that supposed to be on? Oh man, I don't know. That was a great song too, and we played it a bunch at the uh, Paisley Park After Darks. Right. Um, I'm guessing that would have been mm-hmm. on Black is the New Black too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, I I don't know. And now um, another track that's beginning played in Studio A at Paisley Park is a instrumental track, uh, jazz funk fusion. They're talking about Soul Patch. Yeah, yeah. You've heard that title, yeah. but. You don't know what it is because it's just an instrumental. It's just something that another one of those things I they recorded. What it is. And I I went to I went to Paisley Park when we when we were there for the tribute. Mm-hmm. I went to Paisley Park for the tour, um, myself and a bunch of the other guys. Oh wow! And um, I did not go into Studio A hmm. because I was not ready to see it. That was the last place I was in. At Paisley Park, and mm-hmm. so uh, it, it wasn't the last place I saw him. The last place I saw him was at uh, in downtown Minneapolis at I think the Ice House. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. We were we we watched uh, we watched King Group King play. Yeah. Um, oh, nice. Before I left, I left the following day to go back to Carolinas. But the last place. I was in at Paisley was Studio A, hmm. and that's the last place where we created that, and 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 so I was I wasn't really ready to go in, and it was really kind of funny um, because you know I went into Paisley Park. First of all, I got to commend Kirk and and Trevor and everybody who's been involved in in Londale, everybody who's been involved in the you know the museum effect of Paisley Park mm-hmm. because while it's still, there's still a bunch of kinks that need to be worked out. I think yeah. it's a great idea and I think it's a great way to preserve, you know, everything that he built and, and accomplished. And it's a great memorial, you know? Um, I think that down the road, I would love to see like some kind of a festival a week, like a yearly festival happen in his right. honor, you know, circling around paisley park you know like maybe something that paisley park presents every year and we do some clinics and we we work with the next generation of musicians anything you know but i think this is a great start and i think that kirk and and all those cats over there did a great job um the one thing i will say is that the the tour guides were not impressive because they aren't really um and i think they're i think they're remedying that now because they've gotten so much feedback about it but the tour guys that I experienced didn't really know anything about Prince. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. They they were reading cue cards, and you could tell maybe they've been to a Prince concert or some or two because they live in Minneapolis. It's just something you do. But mm-hmm. they weren't they weren't purple people, you know. Right. And you and you have to understand that the majority of the people who are going to be coming for those tours are purple people. Yeah. Right. You know, you can't you can't give a tour. And read cue cards and, and have false information when you're dealing with purple people because they will tell you. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> that's right. And so, yeah, and, and and we take pride in that. You know, we take pride in that. And so that's like if, if somebody's trying to give you a tour of something in American history and, you know, your relatives were involved and you know the history of it and they're telling the wrong stuff. You know, you can't you can't tolerate that. 
And so when I went into Paisley Park, it was, you know, I felt sick. Uh, you know, I was emotional. But it was there was there was some sort of uh, there was some sort of of a good feeling, you know, like it was just, you know, there was closure mm-hmm. uh, to be there and to see that they were continuing his legacy. That was great. Um, but like I said, I did not go into I didn't go in Studio A. And it was funny because they have security guards there and the security guards are cool. They're really great guys. I got to talk to a few of them. Um, but of course they didn't know who we were, you know, um, and I'm not saying that I was around long enough for people to recognize me as a member of the band. Um, but like none of the tour guides recognized any of us, uh, security didn't really know who we were. And when everybody went into studio a, I stayed in the hallway because I just froze. I just didn't, I, Mm. something in me said, don't go in there. You're not ready. And it, you know, you, you know, Funkenberry, you know me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm from the streets. I'm from like the, I'm, I'm from worse than the city hood. I'm from the country hood. So <laughs> I can't let, I can't let cats see me cry, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. you know where I'm from, you know, in the city they got pit bulls. Where I'm from, we got possums. You know what I'm saying? That's worse <laughs> than a pit bull. But I didn't want anybody in there to see me break down, and so right. I just decided not to go into Studio A. And yeah. my and literally it was just a split decision. My body decided for me. I couldn't mm-hmm. move. I just stood there in mm-hmm. the hallway, uh, where the where the emblem wall is, right outside of Studio A, mm-hmm. with Prince and Larry Graham and all those images on the wall. Right. Um, that must have been. And heavy. they went in, and one of the security guards walked up and said, "Oh man, you don't want to miss this," you know. And I looked at him and he said, yeah, you, you need to go in there. And I was like, I, I don't think I want to go in there. And he, he said, they're going to play music. They're going to play the music that he was working on last. Like the music they just finished recording. You don't want to miss that. It's just the only place you can hear it. Uh-huh. And Little did he know. I just kind of smiled and I was like, yeah, I've, I've heard it. And he's like, you've been here before? And I was like, yeah, something like that, you know. Uh-huh. And that's all I could say, you know. I kind of got choked up, and I and I walked away. Uh, hmm. But you know, <clears throat> I should have gone in because then I would have got to hear Soul Patch, and I would have got to hear Rough Enough, and you know, I would have known <laughs> what was going on. Right. And I'm hoping what you discussed before, because he did do these events uh, in the early 2000s called Princess Celebration, where he would have Paisley open up, and there would be clinics and other things going on. I'm hoping that happens, and I definitely yeah. know about you know, your toughness with stuff because at the memorial service in LA, I sat next to you and man, we, man, well on them, those video packages they did, man, they were trying to test us to make us break down. I mean, sometimes it snows way back home. Yeah. Me and Funkaberry were sitting there like, they're trying to get us. Welling up. (laughs) Yeah. Welling up, man. And I'm trying to stay. I'm trying to stay tough. There's a whole bunch of beautiful women in there. I can't let them see me cry. And then they're showing pictures of Prince, and it looks like he's laughing at us, you know, because that's what he would have done anyway. Yeah. Uh, it seems, you know, that's another funny thing I had, I had to talk about is it seems like everywhere I go that that is involving a Prince celebration. Um. Right. Anytime I feel myself getting emotional or I see something that's kind of out 
or weird to me. Right in that moment, I then immediately after that, I'll see an image of Prince and it'll always almost be like he's making eye contact with me and it's some kind of inside joke. And it always makes me feel better. Like it's almost like him coming and saying it's okay. And it's really it's really hilarious. Like, you know, it's always a picture of him throwing shade at somebody and it's hilarious. <laughs> um, and it, it only happens when I see something out of place or if I, I get emotional. If I get emotional, I feel like the picture is him throwing shade at me for getting emotional. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. I see something out of place, I feel like it's him looking at me saying, are you seeing this? You know, <laughs> and it's, it's great. Um, and it happens every time, man. It happens, you know, after, uh, after everything at Paisley Park and I was feeling really emotional to a point where I was feeling like, you know, violently emotional. Like I wanted to find out who, who was, who was there and why, why he wasn't taken care of and, you know all that right. stuff, and the next thing I see on the news is a is a rainbow over Paisley Park. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then and then I think it snowed like that week, mm-hmm. which which you know sometimes it snows in April. Yep. Yeah, you know, and, and all those things this. were all those things to me were like him saying, "Cool it," you know, like it's cool, don't worry about it, and right. and it just gave me this immediate relief you know so he's he's still around man you know the way the best way to think about it is you know i say this to all the purple fans out there prince did not die he just evolved Hmm. he's still here man like in everything we listen to you know turn on your radio right now anything that's anything that sounds remotely musical on your radio it's influenced by prince directly you remember and he you said remotely musical so that doesn't mean anything, Meek Mill, sounds, <laughs> anything on the radio not a lot it's not a lot on the radio yeah, there's no musical. funk on the radio but yeah but whenever you hear it you hear prince right and it's scary but it's there mm-hmm. so he did not die he he just evolved he just he just went to another state man I know there's something that you kind of wanted to get out and talk about. I mean, people yeah. trying to label him as an addict and stuff like that. What are your thoughts? Uh, number one, he was as healthy as ox. I mean, he ate right. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. Hmm. Um, he was healthy. Um, that was one of the things I looked forward to when going to spend time at Paisley Park because I knew I was going to eat well. You know, I knew I was going to eat healthy and I was going to detox. I was always like, okay, I'm going to lose like 15 pounds. This is going to be great. (laughs) And I used to like joke with him about it. And he'd always be like, you're already small. You don't need to lose any weight. Hmm. And, you know, but um, he was not, you know, there are a lot of things that people automatically want to assume that about anybody, you know, especially in celebrity status, they always assume the worst and they always assume Oh, this guy's a rock star. He's going to be the stereotypical addict and all these other things. Right. Oh, but but there it is. He, there's another mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's another one. I knew it. I knew it. Mm-hmm. I knew it was going to happen eventually. You know, that stuff. And um, I will be the first to tell you that there have been a few people who have said that in my presence. Oof. And they have gotten the snot smacked out of their faces. Good. Because, and I'm not ashamed to do it. And I'll do it again. So for everybody listening, you know, watch your mouth. 
<laughs> just be careful around me because I will, I will knock some sense into you when it comes to my friend. And uh, he was not, I repeat, he was not an addict. I don't know, I don't know his history with drug use or anything else in the past. But what I can tell you is that for the four years that I was around, he was not doing that stuff. He was not about that life. And he was, you know, I came up, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that I paid part of my way through college selling drugs, you know, so hmm. I've been around and, 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 and when I was a child, I've had family members who were addicts. I've had family members who were drug dealers, you know, and I've been around every different kind of drug you can imagine. I've seen what it can do to the human body, to the human psyche. I, I've spent my entire life around these things and Man. I know the symptoms I know the look. I can I can look at a person. I hate to say it, and I hate to stereotype like this, but I can look at a person and know if they've ever been an addict, even if they've been clean twenty years. I can oh, just wow. look at them and see it. I mean, okay, right. you've been you've been down that road. You've lived that life. Okay, right. cool. Doesn't mean anything less of you or anything. But I can tell you that in my four years, standing to Prince's right. And interacting with him and laughing with him and joking with him and being upset with him at sometimes. I've never known him to be an addict of any sort. Sure, he, he may have taken a painkiller here and there, just like we all do. You know, he had you you I can't imagine what he went through with his hips, you know? Um so I'm sure he's taken some sort of painkiller here and there. But to to label him as an addict and to say that he had a problem and to say that he OD'd on these things for some fault of his own is completely false. Um, and I stand behind that. And they can say whatever they want. They can say whatever they want about the autopsies, even though they keep changing that. Um, they can say whatever they want, but he was not an addict. And if you believe that he was then you did not know him, at least not in the last four years. Right. Because that's the only thing I can speak on is the last four years. I don't know, you know, shoot, I can only, I can only imagine what people didn't do in the 80s. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you know, people were doing all kinds of stuff in the 80s, and it was like just like smoking cigarettes. So right. who knows? Yeah. That's, that's beyond me. I was barely talking at that point. But from 2012 to 2016, the man was – you know, an Adonis. I mean, everything, he was healthy. I mean, health, more healthy than me, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, he was the one, his health is what made Marcus and BK and I want to get on the treadmill every day, you know, because we, we were ashamed that this man <laughs> that was twice our age was in better shape than us. Right. You know, Always pushing, huh? He was fit. He was fit, man. He was mm -hmm. he was ready. Now, so, so yeah, I just say all that to say, you know, don't believe the hype. I appreciate you. That's very cool saying that. Yeah. Now I know because you were like getting a little bit jealous of Third Eye Girl shows when you were wanting to be uh, playing with everyone. I know towards the end, in the middle of 2015, yeah, might have been before. I know some shows that it was kind of like an 
you know, not just Third Eye Girl that you guys were playing uh, with them from mm-hmm. Oakland shows, a few others, and um, along with his last show in L.A. at the Hollywood Palladium after Arsenio. You know, first after Live Warfield, you guys doing that Days of Wild for 20 minutes, then Extra Lovable, and then the next night, <laughs> almost a four-hour show. Yeah. Just ridiculous. If you if you have any thoughts or memory about that, what do you think from that show? Um, we, yes, we did a lot of shows. And, like, how do I explain it? Prince was a genius to a point where, you know, he didn't have to explain things to everybody. Even though he did everything, everything was sporadic to mm-hmm. us. But he always had everything planned out. He just didn't tell us. Right. And a lot of the times when we were angry, you know, like the MPG was angry with him because he would, you know, he would leave us, you know, up in the air about things and we'd be panicking. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just because that's just because you can't tell everyone your plans. You just have to expect them to follow your orders. If you're a general, if you're a general of the army, you don't have to explain yourself to your soldiers. You give them an order and they follow it. That's just the way it goes. And in hindsight, looking back on all the things that he made happen, even from from the things that we were angry at him for. You know, look at Third Eye Girl for example. All the things that we were you can say jealous, I guess. I don't know. We weren't jealous of them. We supported them fully. We loved their Everybody in Third Eye Girl is a member of New Power Generation, so we support them fully. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, when they go out and we don't, of course it's going to feel a certain way. Um, but if you look at the, the end results, you know, look at the genius behind it. This man would take a three-piece band out and do two or three shows and make enough money mm-hmm. to support a 20-piece band for for a month. That's right. You, I mean, you have to appreciate the genius in that. Yeah. And of course, in the moment, we did not appreciate that. <laughs> right. No, you did not. Right. Yeah. But looking, <clears throat> and, and he never, and he would never take the time to, to, to sit us down and say, okay, this is why I did this. Yeah. And this is why, because he doesn't, he didn't have to. You know, hmm. either you, you, you get down with it or you go home. And, and, um, you know, I wouldn't want to explain that to 50 people either. Right. You know, I wouldn't want to explain that to 50 people. And so, and I shouldn't have to. He shouldn't, he shouldn't have had to. And so, in hindsight, we appreciate everything that he did and everything that he planned out for us. Mm-hmm. I can't really think of anything that stood out about, um, oh, yes, I can. Never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, the Arsenio Hall show. Yeah. Um, which was epic. Changed my life. Um, really? Changed my life. Um, because Mutiny. Mm, right. I have a saxophone solo, or I had a saxophone solo on Mutiny. And mm. supposed to be two choruses. And I remember when I first started taking that solo, when we first started playing Mutiny, back when, mm. uh, there was a really, really... Uh, epic moment between Prince and I where he basically explained, you know, I was just trying to 
play some really killing chops stuff on the saxophone during the solo. And he stopped me and he explained, he said, you know, you don't want to do too much. You know, and he said, you don't have anything to prove. You're already here, you know, right. uh, which was huge because in my mind, I still got something to prove because there are 10 other motherfuckers here <laughs> that can take this solo. Right, right. So I got, mm-hmm. I got to, I got to bring it, you know, mm-hmm. right. but he said, you know, you don't have anything to prove. You're already here. And what that meant was, you know, without him being arrogant, he's basically saying, you're playing a saxophone solo in Prince's band. Right. You know, what what more do you have to prove to the world? You know, in that in that element. And so he said, you don't have anything to prove. You, you're already here. You know, mm-hmm. now all you need to do is have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Hi, my name's Adrian. What's yours? Hmm. And then wait for a response. Right. And then begin the conversation again. If you just keep talking, whoever you're talking to is going to lose interest because you're not letting them respond or absorb what you're saying. Hmm. And that changed my life wow. because from that moment on, it didn't matter where I was playing, who I was playing for, or what I was doing. I didn't have anything to prove. Right. And I could just play and enjoy the music. And most of my solos since that day have been really laid back, easy, you know, nothing really too technical or crazy. And they're that much more powerful. Uh, Because in general, what I call uh, people who aren't musicians, I call them muggles. In reference to Harry Potter. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So people who aren't of the musical world, I I call them muggles because they don't see things the same way we do. Mm. Uh, Muggles, when they leave a concert, if you're playing Charlie Parker, you know, or anything faster than that or crazy monk changes and things like that. Right. That's and those are just two examples I'm using, but you know, if you're playing some really crazy out stuff that that's just really technical and busy, the muggles will not be leaving the concert humming that solo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of hard to hum that. It's not yeah, a catchy it's not tune. Get, yeah, it's not catchy. It's not right, going right. to get stuck in your head. But if you play something real simple that feels good, like Maceo Parker did or Fred Wesley did, mm-hmm. they're going to leave the concert humming your solo with that solo in their head right it's the same thing with radio if the song is catchy it's gonna stick but if it's too much it's gonna go over their heads Mm -hmm. and so um that that whole experience changed my life but then when we actually had to play it at arsenio i was only supposed to take two choruses and then get out of there and prince said you know just play until i come back up and tap you and let you know when to go off. Uh, I'm gonna dance with a few, few party people, mm-hmm. and then you know, and then you'll get off. It'll probably be like another course or two. And I stayed up there for I don't know how long. It felt like forever <laughs> because he never tapped me. And then eventually, wow. I took it upon myself to just get out of there because mm-hmm. I felt like maybe he forgot. <laughs> but, uh, but you know to consider that that was a TV appearance mm. and like 
so much time was given to a saxophone solo. Mm-hmm. You don't see that very often unless the saxophone is, is the feature. Right. Um, he just let me go. He just let me fly, mm-hmm. man. And uh, and I started getting a lot of uh, a lot of love from other musicians and from muggles and everybody. You know, even to this day, sometimes people will recognize me. I mean, it's funny. Out of everything I've ever done, I've been on TV with Liv. I've been on TV with Prince. I've been on TV with Lionel Richie. Mm-hmm. Out of everything I've ever done, and concerts I've played and everything, people will still stop me to this day and be like, man, you're the guy from Arsenio, that sax solo. <laughs> and it's really cool, you know, so that changed my life. So yeah. that was probably one of the most memorable moments for me. Very cool. Definitely cool. We're going to have to get, we're going to have to make sure we do some homework and pull that back out and see it because I haven't watched it in a, in a little while. So I'll definitely have to look for you again. Yeah. I'm supposed to tell watch people it that. You're supposed to act like scary. you just watched it before we got on the air with them. No. <laughs> but yeah, whoops. Um, one last thing before we wrap up with stuff because I know you were talking about like with Third Eye Girl. Um, you didn't know we were going to do anything. That's what was interesting about the piano microphone show. Cause I was told, and you even said that you guys were going to be doing like a full band was going to be doing the after shows and be going with him. And, you know, I put that out on Twitter and they made it sound like if it doesn't work and he's like, not true, but you never knew it was going to go on. And I know that was something that was kind of talked about with you guys is that you yeah. were going to do after shows with him, the full um, band. Yeah. Be- well, for those, the, uh, the new shows. Ensemble, which is, you know, like I said, you never had a name. I'm gonna go ahead and call it. I'm gonna go ahead and call it the next power generation, right? Because um, that just feels feels good. But uh, the next power generation, which is Kurt, myself, and Mono, uh-huh. and sometimes Donna, um, Donna Grantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea was that he was going to be promoting a solo piano show. Right. And then doing after parties and having like a jam session kind of thing where we would play just like the Paisley Park After Dark shows. It would be just mm-hmm. like that. And I think that Atlanta was going to be the first one. Hmm. Wow. Um, so he's where playing that again. Kirk, Kirk and I and a DJ were going to be the band. Um, But it was for that first week and then he he canceled because he wasn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. And the following week, he did the show, but he he they basically he let me know that he wasn't going to do the after party, mm-hmm. and said, you know, I'm not a hundred percent yet, mm-hmm. so don't worry about coming down. Uh, and I'll see you soon at Paisley. And that was the last I heard from Prince. So uh, early April outside of. Oh. Outside of after the whole emergency plane landing thing, I text everybody to see what was going on. And mm-hmm. the response I got was, I'm good. We're good. Everything's cool. You know. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I saw was him having a party and riding his bike. And I thought, okay, he's fine. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, the band, the, the after party jam session kind of thing was going to start happening with Atlanta. And then we were going to do some more shows. Uh, but it just it just never came to be right now i know that you have been working on a new album a new project care to uh elaborate on that sure thing um one of my last conversations uh with prince was regarding this 
actually. But um, before I get into that, I'll say that uh, I started working on a record in like 2011. Mm-hmm. And I'm a perfectionist to a certain extent. And so I probably finished the record like twice in the past <laughs> five, six years. Right. And I've just trashed the whole thing and started from scratch. Right. Just because I'm never satisfied. And yeah. uh, it's hard when you have friends like Marcus Anderson who release records every year. Um, he is a machine when it comes to releasing records. He just has it down. He he has a science and he does it. Um, right. And especially with that, that would make me not want to put out anything that I felt like wouldn't compete with him. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 my other peers, you know, and so once I started really getting in there with Prince, I was doing exactly what I'd always wanted to do, which was to be a pillar uh, sideman to a major artist. Like I wanted to be the I wanted to be the Clarence Clemens to someone's Springsteen or the the Maceo to someone's James Brown, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. That's 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 what I wanted to be. Um, you know, being an artist is cool, but that was never, well, not since I was a kid has that been my main passion. My passion has always been to be a supporting role. Mm -hmm. Um, being an artist is fun and I love it, but it's just a lot of responsibility and I'd rather just collect a check to be honest Uh, (laughs) and have fun and keep my hair. Um, your good hair. Yeah. So when we were recording, Black is the New Black, and and I think another song. Uh, I was in the studio, polished, like, you know, punching in some parts. And uh, I was kind of chatting with Prince, and he, I had been selling uh, Hit and Run Phase 2. Uh, and he was asking me how I was moving the product. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, well, first of all, uh, we've got CIAA coming up which is the basketball tournaments in Charlotte, the college basketball tournaments. Mm-hmm. That's a huge market because everybody comes into town. It's like uh, it's like All-Star or, or Super Bowl weekend. Um, so I told him, I said, you know, whenever I do a show, I just I push the products along with my CD at the show. And mm-hmm. so he started to ask me about my CD, and I told him about my first CD, which is called Private Party, that I released in 2009 when I got out of college. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing, and and I just put it out with a prayer, and it did decent, you know, it did okay. But mainly, it's just something to sell at shows now. It's not like a radio thing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So he started, he became intrigued with it, and he started asking me about had I been doing any other recording, you know, and he talked about Marcus and Marcus's record and how it was charting, and and uh, I told him. I said, you know, I've I've been recording. I never stopped recording, but it's not really what I want to do. I'm not really looking to be a a solo artist. And I think that really, you know, struck him. And he, you know, he asked Mm -hmm. why. He said, why? Why not? And I said, you know, this is going to sound corny, but I've always wanted to be the Macy O. Parker to your James Brown or the, or the Clarence Clemens to your Springsteen, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And, you know, it's really weird that i'm here and i'm doing it not only am i doing it but out of all the 11 mpg horns i'm the one here now doing the you know the the new record you know with Mm -hmm. just one horn 
And so I'm, I was like, I'm right where I've always wanted to be. So I've never really been stressed about doing a solo project because I'd rather just be here and, and enjoying playing music rather than being stressed out about my record, you know. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of went in on me, like just, you know, basically he was saying that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Really? <laughs> yeah, he's wow. like, you know, you're an artist just like I am. You should be putting out music, mm-hmm. you know. The stuff on the radio today, we we can't turn on the radio when we want to hear good music. So it's our right. responsibility to put out good music. And you should be your publisher. You should be this. And he starts going in on these things. And then he and then he called Mono in to the room and he starts <laughs> telling us about why we should be artists and why we should be our own publishers and how hmm. he would teach us everything we needed to know if we needed to do it. And and uh, he basically just went off on me and, and told me that I needed to put out my record. Mm-hmm. And so, like, probably right after that, when I got home, I started pushing to finish the project again. Mm-hmm. And then when he died, uh, that really like lit a fire under me, and I started like really going forward with putting out this record. So the record is called Leap because I'm just taking a leap and and putting it out there and seeing how it flies right uh but it's going to be a really fun record the other thing that i took from prince uh when it comes to being a a, a saxophonist it's very hard to to get out of the pigeonhole of being a smooth jazz artist um and a lot of times they want your record if they if you want radio play they want it to be uh cookie cutter they want it to be just like every other record Mm -hmm. and the prince in me refuses to do that. So right. my record is very, very eclectic. It's not just smooth jazz. It's not cool. just R and B. It's not just hip hop. It's not just rock and roll. There's a little bit of everything on there. Right. And I refuse. I refuse to be categorized, even if it means I don't get radio. <laughs> right. Because I would be doing this honor tour, you know, and so. In his honor, I'm going to be as eclectic and weird and out of the box as I can be mm-hmm. while still being And definitely when you release it, because I know you've had different release dates for it, definitely when you when you release it, we definitely want to have you back on, maybe bring yes, in sir. some mono neon. Uh, is it still yeah. looking like January 2017 or you have another date in yeah. mind? Record is ready. It's done. Um, mm. Originally, I was going to release in November. Uh, but, uh, some people gave me some advice and they said, you don't want to compete with how music. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good point. And plus I just didn't have my ducks in a row. So mm-hmm. the new plan is January. Cool. Yeah. And definitely we got to have you back on for that. In closing, is there anything you want to tell us or the purple army, anything going on? Or just, uh, you know, I know you got their back. Oh, yeah. I just got word that I will be finishing out the year with Lionel Richie. Um, Hello. Who, as you know, I was playing for before I actually traveled out to start working with Prince. Huh. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to be subbing for the great saxophonist Dino Soldo, who's Lionel's who's been Lionel Sax man and harmonica man and keyboard man for some 16, 17 years now. Uh, hmm. 
but I subbed for him in 2012 and you know I did like a whole summer cool. and it was great and and I did some more stuff this year with Lionel did a couple dates this year with Lionel uh Lionel will be will be in Abu Dhabi for uh Thanksgiving hmm. and then we will be in Washington DC I think December 22nd mm-hmm. and then December 26th through January 1st which is basically New Year's we will be finishing out um, Lionel's residency in in Las Vegas. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was so hoping for some LA dates. Yeah, we're yeah. I'm <laughs> waiting to see if you're coming to LA. So we're gonna have to go to Vegas hey, to see you, huh? Yeah, you might have to come to Vegas, but I'll be in LA for Nam, so I'll be there in January. So it's cool. all good. Oh, cool. And what were you doing last New Year's Eve? <laughs> <laughs> last New Year's Eve, I was in St. Bart's with Prince. Oh, see. Yes, and Scotty P told us all about that crazy trip. The Paul McCartney oh, countdown. Man. Scotty, man, Scotty, did Scotty tell you about how I got trapped in Chicago? No. no. Okay, Do real tell. quick before we go, you got to tell yeah. that. Okay. Okay. So, as I stated in the last podcast, Prince basically helped me build my newest uh, rendition of my pedal board, which is my final like maximum board. It's like this big, huge, beautiful board. Prince helped me build it. You know, he helped me select the pedals and stuff like that, and how to arrange them and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, once I got it all built up, uh, I took it to Paisley Park, and we started recording the record. And he sent us home for for Christmas hmm. or for New Year's. No, no, I'm sorry. He sent us home for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and or was it Christmas? No, it was Christmas. Okay. I can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> he was either, one of those two. He sent uh-huh. us home and he said we were going to come back to Paisley to rehearse before we left to go for the New Year's gig. Uh-huh. And so being a dummy, I left my pedal board and some of my instruments at Paisley Park. Sure. Why not? Because you're going to go right back there. Uh-huh. Going right back. We're just yeah. going home really quick for the you know holiday. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that was the other great thing about Prince, man. He didn't celebrate those holidays, but it didn't mean that he didn't acknowledge your beliefs. You know, he That's let cool. us go home, you know, to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I went home and then I got the call saying, we're not coming back to Paisley. We're going to go <laughs> straight to the islands for New Year's. Uh, and so I had to get them the book of flight for me to go back to Minneapolis to get my stuff. Because I didn't want to leave that responsibility on Scotty and them because I knew I needed certain things and they weren't all in one place. Right. So I just needed to be there and I needed to get that stuff and, and put it all in one box. And plus I wanted to help. I wanted to help carry stuff or whatever. And so uh, they booked my flight with a layover in Chicago in December. Oh, Lord. So... I got to Chicago, and uh, <laughs> from Charlotte, I got to Chicago, got to Midway, and uh, the blizzard hit, and all the flights started to get delayed, and then eventually they canceled everything. Oh, no. They just shut down the airport. And I happened to be waiting. I waited through like maybe four flights, hmm. right? So I was I was in Chicago basically all day, waited through four flights, and you know, 
eventually I started seeing familiar faces, people who were waiting for the same flights, trying to get to Minneapolis. And uh, I ran into one of the guys in another situation where he recognized me because he worked for a music company. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we hit it off and he said, I'm going outside to take a smoke. I'll be back, you know. And he went outside, and then he called me and said, I'm renting a car. If you want to join me, meet me at the car rental place, blah, 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 because none of these flights are going to make it out. And so I just said, I'm going to do it. And I jumped in a car with him and one other guy, and we drove in a little – I don't even remember what kind of car it was. It was a little itty-bitty car. We drove from Chicago to Minneapolis in the middle of a blizzard. Oh, Lord. And we literally drove about (laughs) – 15 miles an hour the entire way Hmm. and you know you can feel the car being like kind of (laughs) moved by the the and sliding on the ice and we saw i think we saw a total of three semis flip like slide over and flip we Uh saw it happen wow you know um my flight from minneapolis leaving minneapolis my flight was at uh like 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m., mm-hmm. and my my lobby call time for the hotel was at 5 a.m., uh, so I called ahead, and I told Scotty and them to just, I, I started telling them where things were, and I told them to get it all in one box and just leave it at the hotel for me, right? Mm-hmm. And they did that, and I arrived at the hotel at 5.15 a.m., <laughs> and my my driver was there waiting for me at the front. So I literally went inside the hotel, got my box with my gear in it, mm-hmm. and and got a couple of toiletries out of my – you know, we always kept uh, bins at the country inn. You know, if you, if you stay there long enough, mm-hmm. you keep a bin there so you don't have to keep traveling with stuff. I oh, went yeah. in my bin. I got nice. some clean shorts and some underwear <laughs> and my toothbrush, and I took my gear, and I got into the into – the uh, SUV to take me to the airport. So mm-hmm. I literally pulled up, went inside, got my stuff, came back out, and went to the airport. And <laughs> I got to the airport. <laughs> I got to the airport, and something said, "Just go check and see if your bags made it." And of course, my luggage was at the airport. <laughs> so it never even my luggage never even went through Chicago. Um, Lucky. So not only do I have this massive rig, mm-hmm. I've got my luggage too and so and i have to fly right back to charlotte because hmm. charlotte's my layover to go to saint to saint martin mm-hmm. <laughs> so i literally flew, flew from charlotte to chicago drove in the snowstorm from chicago to minneapolis got back on a plane to go back to charlotte hmm. and then to saint martin and then uh, we took a helicopter over to St. Bart's for the show. Mm-hmm. And Mono and I are chilling, and I set up my rig, and uh, we were in this really tiny little club. And Prince calls me over to the side, and this is hilarious. Uh, and you know, you can't you can't even write this kind of thing. It was hilarious. Hmm. Prince calls me over to the side and says, he says, "Hey, how are you? How are you?" And I'm like, "I'm good, man. You know what's going on?" He's like, "Good, good." Um, so. I wasn't really expecting you and Mono to be here. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, 
you don't really need your your rig. I'm just gonna call you up on some solos, if that's cool. And I was like, yeah, no, that's cool. That's totally fine. You know, of course, in my head, I'm like, kidding me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I packed up my rig, and I basically uh, I took some solos. But what I mainly did when that night was people were filming him and, and yeah. you know and uh telling him to turn their phones off. And the only security that he had was Kirk. And Kirk was playing drums. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of hard to be That's so why I went, and drummer. Uh, celebrity footage. Yeah. The 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 client, the guy who hired us was the uh that big Russian guy. Uh I can't remember his name. But he's, he's like a that owns the Nets, that guy? The, yeah, he owns, the, he owns the football, the soccer team for Russia. Yeah. Oh. Um, that guy. And he had heavy security detail, like, all over the place. And so I went to one of them, and I borrowed their little flashlight. And <laughs> I just took it upon myself to whenever I saw somebody trying to film Prince, I would take the flashlight and flash it in their face and say, no, 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 no you know, they can't do that. Because I had seen Kirk do it so many times, and I always thought it was cool, so I wanted to try it. And uh, and plus, I didn't want to just sit there and look useless, you know. So that's what I did. And uh, Prince just thought it was hilarious. I, he he thought it was. I, I've never seen him laugh that hard before. He he uh and then uh so he called me up for one final solo. By the way, I think I flashlight. I, I flashed. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, Paul McCartney. <laughs> oh no! But he was he was filming, and uh, and I just I you know I was flashing everybody. I didn't care who it was. <laughs> and uh, in hindsight, I think he that's the one that's still alive, right? Yeah. Ringo and Paul. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. So yeah, Paul McCartney, the tall one, the really tall dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I flashed him and said, "No, no, no, you can't do that." But um. So when he called me up for my final solo, uh, he said, you know, I'm playing my solo. And he says on the mic, you know, uh, not only does he play the saxophone, but he also drives the car and he's security, you know, or something like that. And it was hilarious because I was like, did he really just say that? <laughs> but um, it was a great experience, man. Awesome. And then so, of course, I had to lug all that stuff back to the, uh, back to uh, the Carolinas. And then back to Minneapolis. <laughs> right. Right. But uh, it was just, it was great. So that was New Year's last year. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adrian, for being on. We're going to let you go and then we're going to wrap up and watch some mutiny on Arsenio to see the performance. Yeah. Man. Heck yeah. Get it up for, yep. for Chris and myself. But thank you so much for being on. Happy holidays. Thanksgiving, Christmas coming up. Much love to you and definitely going to have you back on and maybe we can persuade uh, Mono Neon to, to join you for a little bit, my man. Yeah, we can get him on. He's not going to say much. That's okay. <laughs> we figured. Have him but bring his bass. He'll be okay. There we go. He's cool. But uh, yeah, man, thanks for having me. Sorry for talking you guys' heads off. But, uh, oh, it's I'm great. telling you, they're going to love it. And thank you so much. <laughs> we really appreciate it. it, man. All right, man. Purple Army for life. You got it. Much love. Yeah, See you. See you. Peace. All right, Adrian. Ah, what a great show that was, Chris. Man, it just gets better, these stories. I cannot get enough of these stories from these guys. 
Thank you guys so much for listening to it. We're enjoying it as much as you are. Much love. Keep it funky. Till next time. Yeah,